The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Are you as influential as you think? Maybe more so, or probably less so. To discuss influence in leadership, Stacy Hunky, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate How are you? I'm good. How are you? Hey, good. Very cool to have you. This is going to be a fascinating conversation for sure. So start off by telling us just real quick, a little bit about influence. What is influence from your perspective? And let's just kick it around. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of misperception around it. Most people believe influence is you can have a high stakes conversation, whether that's a boardroom meeting, whether it's a presentation and you, you have to turn it on. And I always give the example, Joel, you, you probably can relate to this. If you've ever been in a meeting and whoever is facilitating the meeting, they get so caught up in their own dialogue that suddenly it's like they're having a conversation with themselves because half the room is down in their smartphones, their side conversations going on. And the person leading the conversation just decides, well, I'll talk louder and faster. I'll continue to torture you even more with hopes I eventually find the point. That, that, that's not what influence is. Influence isn't something that suddenly you gain based on your title, your years of experience. Here's what it is. My approach to influence is that the body language and the messaging, verbal and nonverbal, are consistent Monday to Monday. That people never have to guess who shows up, whether you are caught in the hallway back at the corporate office, whether you're caught on a virtual conversation, that's one side to influence. The other side is just as important where you have this ability to move people to take action long after the interaction has occurred. Okay. So I think about influence Mm -hmm. as the second one, the ability to move people. But I think the reason that they move is because of the first one. Exactly. Okay. I always use the phrase of, it was always ingrained, and it really was my dad. It was always ingrained in me. It does depend. It really matters how you show up, how you stay showed up, and what you leave behind. And when those are all of a very positive experience, however you perceive what that positive experience is, that's, I think, when you have influence on someone long after the conversation. I don't want to have influence on your listeners just during this podcast, this show, I want you to be able to have influence on them three days from now, three weeks from now, three years from now. And and you probably can relate this in your business. When you are making a sales pitch, perhaps it doesn't land that day for whatever many reasons, yet they call you three months later, or they happen to call you three years later and say, 
you know, I remembered you and I like what you do. You had some impact on me. Now I'm ready to move forward. You won't believe this. When I first got started in my seminar business, I really had a very short patience, you know, that I really wanted people to, to come to the program. And what I kind of realized over time is that people are going to come when they're ready to come. That's it. They're going to show up when they're ready. Right. And there was a guy a year ago in New Jersey, I was pointing out somebody in the audience that had been on my list. Somebody raised their hand and said, I'm on the list for three years. I mean, your emails every week for three years and, and I really like them and here I am. And he goes, I'll bet that's the longest anybody's ever been on your list. I said, no, I don't think so. I said, there's a guy in the back row, <laughs> nine years. He was on the list for nine years and he finally was ready. So fascinating and, you know, influence is a thing that sometimes has to ferment over time, doesn't it? It does, because I think we're living in a whole new world of work called noise. I mean, for any of your listeners right now, how many emails have they already received today, this week, this month, that it's making it that much more difficult to just stand out from the noise. And that being said, they, the individuals may not trust you right off the bat. They might not. They need that time to build that relationship to make the decision. I, I trust your recommendation, and now I'm ready to move forward with you. So the concept of influence, I mean, that brings up an important point where you just said is sometimes it takes time. They have to trust you over a long period of time. They have to kind of become familiar with you. And then yes. they let their guard down and they let you, uh, you know, help move them to a new place. I mean, letting somebody have you move them, think about how big, that's a big thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're right. There's such a big element of trust there because they have so many decisions that they can make that day. Which email am I going to open? Which one will I respond to? Which call will I return? Who will I have lunch with? I mean, there's constant decisions. And if you think about for yourself, how many messages do you get in a week? You know, who do you really rely on? Or when you've got this need or this problem, there are certain people that come to mind. And if you dissect that, I bet it really is because of how that person makes you feel. And how we make someone feel is not just off of our body language. It's not just off of our message, our knowledge, our years of experience. It's a combination of those. So let's talk about how do you create that feeling? Because it's not just about being polite. I mean, that's, that's an important thing. But how do you create the feeling in someone uh, where they feel engaged, they feel respected, and they're open to being influenced by you? Mm -hmm. How much time do you have? Well, we've got a few minutes. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Let's go on the messaging side first. I'm going to use an example of a sales pitch where we get so caught up in a message that we think everyone wants to know our many years of knowledge and they want to hear everything that we, we know. It's taking the message and having brevity with it. This whole idea, there's not a single one of us that isn't guilty of saying too much. Yet we value, we are impressed by leaders who can have impact through their words with very little words. I always start coaching with someone with brevity and making sure that the words they're using truly resonate with whomever they're trying to influence. And we know this, but how many times do we really think about it? We're racing through the day, shooting email off of email, having call after call. We don't take the time to think about, it's not about what I want them to hear. It's what do I want them to hear, but they also realize they need it. You know, I guess it's all about understanding that there's another person on the other side of the table. Oh, and, and yeah, and, and truly be being genuine, that, yeah, sensitive and that you really care. And then you take the body language. I mean, there's like eight delivery skills that we teach. That's why I was teasing, you know, how much time do you have? And it's communicating through your body language that you really do care. You're not multitasking on your phone. You're not 
interrupting them and cutting them off. You're not communicating this body language that you say you're there through your words, that you're really passionate to be there, yet your body language communicates something completely different. And I challenge, I challenge your listeners, how many conversations this week do you really think about when you're in the heat of the conversation? How many of us really think about, I wonder what my body language is really communicating right now. We, we don't think that way. But this isn't like a couple techniques and the problem is solved. I mean, we're talking about an attitude. I mean, if somebody doesn't pay attention uh, or they prioritize their phone higher than whatever the situation is, and I'm not talking about like a glance because some emergency yeah. thing happened. I mean, but, you know, really, we, we all know what really rude behavior looks like. You can't just give somebody a couple techniques like, uh, you know, tilt your head to the left and that body language works because that's ridiculous. So how do you influence people that really need to be corrected so they can be better influencers? That's the hardest part because you're going to have to have patience and you've got to have to put in the work. So I'm going to use an analogy of any sport that any of your listeners have ever played, golf, tennis. You don't take one lesson and suddenly you can play in the U.S. Open. It doesn't work that way. And for whatever reason, majority of the people I work with don't realize that our communication and our influence, it's the same thing. It's every influence skill, every body language, the thought process, and many steps I walk people through and how they work through their message. That's practicing it all the time. It's not, I have a big presentation coming up tomorrow and I'm going to practice. Well, at this point, it's too late. That's <laughs> authentic. You're going to sound. Yeah, on the topic of golf, I think Lee Trevino said, uh, you know, somebody was practicing, got up at four o'clock in the morning and they're on the practice tee. And he said, What are you doing? I'm practicing. And they said, Look, if you didn't bring your game with you, you're not going to find it on the practice tee. Yeah. I'm sure you can relate to this, Joel, based on what your speeches as well. I was at an event last week and they wanted to do a rehearsal. My idea of a rehearsal, though, is let me just check my slides, let yeah. me out the microphone. And the AV guy, I hop off the stage, it was like two minutes I was up there, right? And I hop off the stage, I'm like, I'm good. And he said, you're, you're not going to rehearse it, like go through all of it. And I looked at him and I told him, if I don't know it by now, you do not need to be paying me. <laughs> like you are the first person that has not gone through yours. I'm like, I, I need to know it. So my, my point being here is the toughest part about what we give, because it sounds so easy, this whole idea of make sure your body language and your messaging are consistent. It's muscle memory. So like your golf swing, you've been playing golf for 10 plus years and someone starts messing with your muscle memory, your subconscious is going to fight you. And it's going to say to you, if it's uncomfortable, it must be wrong. And that's where breaks the water spread on those people that are willing and open to do the work. And those that are like, you know what? I'm fine. I've gotten the results that I've gotten. I'm good. So it's the practice and it's the consistency of applying these skills in every conversation that you have, your personal life, your professional life. So let's be a little more specific. And we're kind of talking at the high level. How does somebody know that they need some help because they're not being as influential as they could be? Sometimes I'm challenged with the fact that they don't know. The only way that they would know is either someone has really given them constructive feedback. And Joel, I'm not saying, you know, after this show, I say to you, oh, good job. That was you did a nice job of interviewing, but that's not feedback. But someone who really says to you, you know, when you do this, or when you said this, it didn't make any sense, or you were really rude during that question. You didn't even answer the question. Number two, I really, really believe that if we're not seeing ourselves through the eyes and ears of our listeners, we're basing our level of influence off of how we feel rather than what fact is. Fact being what everyone else is saying. 
Now we've got the capability. We've got our phones that I'm constantly encouraging people to start audio recording yourself, video recording yourself so that you can experience yourself through everyone's eyes and ears. That's one side. Another approach to your question is if, if you've got a lot of people on their phones during your meetings, who's to say, you know, everyone says, well, it's a cultural thing. I disagree with that. <laughs> is a lot more interesting, you know, than what's going on here. Or if there's side conversations, you've got people showing up late. They just don't respect your time. You ask them to take an action and they never follow up. Those are all signs. It's not working. I guess we all have little markers that we use. And one of the little markers for me, when I'm speaking to audiences, one of the things that I measure just as I'm looking at the audience is how many people are getting up to go to the bathroom or to leave and go get a glass of water or whatever they're doing. And let me tell you something, my goal is always zero and it is always close to zero because people don't want to miss the next paragraph because they don't know what it's going to be. And when you're revealing really good information, so if you're very humdrum and you're not saying anything and people are moving around, they're on their phone, you can understand why. I mean, so it's hard to get that feedback though. I mean, who gives you that kind of constructive feedback? It's very hard to get. They don't. So one thing that I've learned over the years is prepared feedback. I'll give you an example. If prior to us starting this recording, I wanted to get feedback from you, I would have prepared it. I would have said to you, here's what I'm working on. Here's how I want to come across. I usually define that through some type of adjective. Give me feedback afterwards. And then after the recording, you and I, you quickly give me feedback If you saw my monitor off to my left here, it's filled with post-it notes. And it's just all this feedback that my family has given me. (laughs) They're always good to give you feedback. (laughs) You almost have to set it up because otherwise, if after the fact, I say to you after a meeting, perhaps, how did I do? Well, what do you mean? How did you do? You're going to take the easy way out most likely if you're like most people and say, no, that was good. And then we walk around life saying, well, everyone says I'm good. And I think that's another piece where we just miss the opportunity of really improving because we constantly get the pat on the back. I was talking to a VP of sales today. I was asking her, I go, have you noticed as you've climbed the ladder, do you feel it's getting lonely? Does it get a little lonely up there? And she goes, oh, she goes, no one tells me what I really need to hear. My team tells me what they think I want to hear and how great I am. Well, that's the reason that people need outside sounding boards. They need advisors, outsiders. I mean, you know, that's why people call me for executive sounding board services and other kinds of things is, is, you know, that I I just shoot straight and tell them the truth. And, you know, my job doesn't depend on it. Yes, it's that. It's finding someone like you and I, as much as I joke about someone in your personal life, your family, if you open that door and say to your wife to give you feedback, I bet she's ready. <laughs> happy to add to the additional feedback that she's given you. And, and as much as we joke about it, my two sisters are in the company and they're big with giving me feedback. And, and I know they're going to tell it to me straight. And yeah, you do, that's a little bit of an effort. You do have to find someone that's going to be really upfront with you. As long as the feedback is given in a constructive and friendly and helpful way, and that's really, as long as it's not mean-spirited and it's really designed to be helpful, uh, feedback is really yeah. good. The other thing is yeah. you have to tee the people up for feedback because not everybody wants feedback, right? That's right. You can't just walk up to anyone and ask them for feedback. I'm still amazed though, Joel. There's a couple of times if it's a brand new client, a corporate client, we're walking through with our buyer on the phone, the process that we're going to take. And we're big with feedback. I mean, we, we pretty much throw it out there, but I, I figured the company's not hiring me to tell them how good they are. 
I'm not saying they're not good. It's they're hiring us to talk about what's not working for you and how can you correct it to have more influence. And there's been times, Joel, when I talk through how that feedback's going to feel and sound and look, there'll be this long pause on the other end of the phone with the client. The client then has come back and said, you know, with our leaders, you really need to be careful with that because we feel at the company, our culture is that as leaders, we've worked hard to get to this point. So so you're saying they don't need feedback? Is that what you're telling me? And there is some of that out there. And I wonder if it's, are we grown up with the mindset that feedback, you've done something wrong. Yet you don't have to take everything someone tells you. Ask for it. And then you can filter through what are you going to act on? And what are you just going to leave alone? You know, listen, one of the things I tell people is like, I'm going to give you advice, not directions. So you say you do with it what you want. I like that. Um, then, you know, then on the topic of negative feedback or some other stuff, there was a, um, I think Bill Gates wrote a book a long time ago. And one of the things he said is that he doesn't say, how are things going? Tell me how we're doing. And he says, tell me what's going wrong. I want to, I want to know what the problems are so we can work on those. And, you know, companies, I, I think that people are afraid of, of negative feedback. I don't I don't know. Maybe they're worried they're not going to get one of those ninth place ribbons. I don't know. It's that, and and just from talking to some of the leaders that will do one-on-one mentoring, so you put them behind closed doors, just you and them in a room, things things come out, right? Yeah. And I've had individuals say to me, you know, my greatest fear is anyone back at the office finding out that I'm doing this mentoring. And then when I ask them, well, it's going to raise your credibility that they also know that you understand influence is a lifelong process, that we all have to develop. And their comment is, well, my fear I've made it to this position. I should know how to do this. You know, that's really a misperception. None of us can live on an island. None of us. In fact, you know, one of the things that I always say is that the the hallmark of a great idea is it gets bigger with every person who touches it. You want many people to touch your ideas. And then you want to bounce your idea off somebody and and find out if it's kind of a dumb idea before you put it out there publicly, you know, or poke holes in your idea so you can do better when you finally go on stage. Mentoring is like a dry run. I mean, mm-hmm. those coaching kind of arrangements are they're like practice sessions for your big yeah. show. And especially when you're talking about leaders constantly developing, it, you know, as a leader, you are the camera is always on. People are always watching you because they're trying to figure out how did you get to be that VP? And if, especially if that's what they inspire to do, they're watching your every move that at least to know how you react every day and how you communicate how you're creating these relationships and maintaining them. People see that. They see that in the works and they see when it works and when it doesn't work. I really do believe the camera is always on because it really is just the eyes and ears of our listeners. You know, I wouldn't say that every one of these leaders in our bigger companies, they're not all that impressive. And I think people look at them like, how did you get this job? Not like you're so impressive, but who did you know to get this job? Because I think a lot of these people are really underwhelming. And mm-hmm. now some of them are spectacular and they really are gifted and they unify companies and cultures. But I think people look at a lot of these people and say, you know, you're kind of a knucklehead. How did that happen? Well, we do that a lot at our company. Yes. Like how in the world did they, much less did they get the position and they still have it? Yeah. Miss that. You know, I don't know. Do we push people into these positions of influence because of their tenure, their years of experience? And then you make a good point too. I think there is something to be said about who they know. 
Well, I mean, maybe it's the Peter principle, you know, you promote people till they're over promoted, you know, and then they can't do it anymore. And that's, mm-hmm. that's famous in corporate America. But, you know, somebody uh, came on the show recently and told me a great story. And they said that if I brought you onto a professional baseball team, because you're one of my friends, instead of going through the process, I kind of short circuited the process and I just brought you on the team. And then there's a big play and I throw the ball to first base and you drop it. You're off the team. So in higher uh, profile environments, it doesn't matter how you got on. What matters is how you stay on. So, you know, there's two issues, you know, but let's go back to the influence thing. Okay. I, I love this discussion. So body language is important. Intentionality is important. Consistency is important. You've said a lot of things, but what are some of the very specific things that people can do to have more influence and, and how do they go about doing that? I'm going to list the top three and the top three are really where I see people struggle the most. When it comes to the messaging, it truly is this concept. It's almost like they're having a conversation with themselves. They're caught up in their agenda and to be able to adapt their message on the fly, even when you've prepared for the conversation, which Joel, I believe is, is fake as well. I mean, how many of our conversations in a day are off the cuff? Majority. Yeah. I mean, think about that. The majority, and even if you say, for example, it's a presentation, you prepare the presentation, you still should be able to adapt the message on the fly based on the body language that's happening in front of you and based on what they're saying back to you. So that that's, I see as one challenge because that's hard to do. You're going out on a limb when you, you're just adapting and thinking on your feet. The second I brought up a little earlier, and that's brevity, we say too much. We ramble. We go out in right field and then we're on left field and wondering how in the world we got there. It's being able to really select the words, the sentence structure that has a lot of impact without many words so that your listeners can follow you every step of the way. Just follow that story, follow that script, that messaging. Third one, and it seems so common sense, but I don't see it. And it's what we do with our eyes. We call it, in my company, we talk a lot about eye connection, that you only speak when you see eyes. No eyes, no talk. You're looking at your phone or you're looking at the PowerPoint deck behind you or you're you're walking that client through a marketing plan or proposal. The more we look away and we're still talking, the more we encourage that listener to do anything but listen to us. It's important because what we do with our eyes is the only body language. So think delivery skill. It's the only delivery skill that conveys trust. It's so funny that you say that because I say to my family and sometimes other people that, uh, you know, they'll yell across the room and you can't hear them. And what I'll basically say is if I can't see you, I can't hear you. That's it. You know, so it's fascinating to hear you say that. I, I really never thought much about it, but what you're saying makes so much sense that, you know, our eyes are probably among our most important communication components, you know? You know, and I really believe, I mean, our phones, sometimes I wonder, is our phone causing face-to-face to become a lost art? And, and just pay attention to this, all your listeners, you know, everywhere that they're out in public, how many eyes are down in their phones? It's competition for eyeballs. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things about influence for sure is that you have to learn how to use the medium that you're using. So text, there's a right way to do text. There's a right way to do email. You know, text is ultra short, emails, medium short, a phone call could be longer. You know, maybe there's an introductory phone call. I mean, so you have to understand pacing. You have to understand a lot of things about communication that a lot of people seem not to understand very well. 
And, yeah. and I think mastery of those things helps you be more influential too. You're bringing up another good point. When I talk about consistency, now you're bringing up text and email and Facebook, social media. That also has to be consistent, Joel. Let me give me an example. I get a kick out of any time I get an email from my client and it's, it's like I, can't, I have to decode it <laughs> because there's grammar errors and spelling errors. Like, Why can't I read this? And then in the bottom of their email, it says, you know, this is from my phone or whatever. Please excuse the errors. I'm like, excuse your errors. Why should I excuse your errors? Or social media. And, and you know this. How many times have you seen a post somewhere and you're thinking, I can't believe you just posted that. You po- you're going to share that? Yeah. Me, everything that we do, anything that's our names attached to, that's building our reputation or it's destroying it. The good news and part of reputation, I think, you know, influence is all about reputation management, how people experience you, what they think about you. Here's the good news. You have control to some degree of what people say about you behind your back. And that's really about how people experience you. And I say within reason, right? There's definitely some people just, they're just not going to connect with you for whatever reason. But when you look at the majority, so you're right. It's, it's, it's giving thought to even when you put together an email, the advantage there, or even a social media post, you can look at it a number of times before you shoot it off versus a live conversation. You better be thinking on your feet because every word that comes out is going to land a certain way. I wonder if grammar and, and having good sentence structure and properly spelled words is a value that's held by people who are 35 or 40 and above. I just wonder if younger people, they have a whole bunch of new words, they spell them in funny ways, and and then they misspell things that aren't spelled funny ways. And I think that they think about these things in a different way. To me, like, I don't even like to have one word, uh, you know, spelled wrong. And and it just happens, like, I'll dictate something and I miss one word, you know, but it happens. I mean, I think we're really looking at some really big social, you know, changes. We are. We are. And, you know, I've had the younger generation, anyone that's younger than me, <laughs> the yeah. younger generation make comments to me about, I've learned to communicate via my technical gadget. And now I get in corporate world and that's not the only form of communication that's out there. I don't want to put the focus just on the younger generation because Joel, I have worked with older people that you think, where did you come from? Like, how long have you been in the, the company? So I, I think it definitely goes both ways. My biggest advice, though, is always know who you're talking to and ask. One of the things I always ask my clients is, what's the best way to follow up with you? Are you text, email? And I have clients that will say to me, I just want you to text me. Now, of course, we have to have a phone conversation or a live conversation at some point. If I wouldn't have that conversation with them, though, I could be calling and calling and they don't respond, but they respond to a text. So if I need something fast or I just want to stay in front of them, again, to keep that momentum of that relationship getting built going, I always ask, you know, what is the best way to get your attention? Yeah. Well, listen, once you're on their radar screen, uh, they'll, they'll tell you, they'll kind of, they'll kind of give you the phone number to the red phone. They do. Yes. It's like the Batman phone, right? Yeah. The bat phone. There you go. They'll give you the key to that. We all have a red phone, you know, that we answer when the time comes. So anyway, any, any last tips that you want to share, you know, related to being more influential, being more empathetic about the person on the other side of the table, any tips you want to share? I think it's taken a step back from our busy lives and we all have them. We're all busy. It's just a matter of how we spend that time. 
It's really take a look at how people are experiencing you. Yeah. You take that big step. I swear, the only thing I could have said today during the show, and everyone would have valued from it and saved them how much time, is simply said, just start audio and video recording yourself. That's all you have to do. Is you're your worst critic, you're your best critic. Once you start seeing it, you'll make changes. And then finding that person in your life that can really be your accountability partner. Someone that can just give you reminders of what you need to change, what you need to improve. Because influence is not a one-stop shop here. It is truly a lifelong process. And I think that's why some are really good at it and aware of what they're doing and others, they're just not consistent with it. You know, uh, it's so simple. It's so common sense, but common sense is not always common practice. And so it just really, but this is really the inside track for how better communications happens and better communications absolutely results in more influence. So I really appreciate you sharing that and helping our listeners to profit from the inside, the inside track, the inside insights uh, that you bring to the table. Thanks. Yeah. I always tell people, Joel, you can be the smartest person in your industry. If you cannot communicate in a way that people understand it, does it really matter how knowledgeable you are? It does not matter because if you can't make people understand it, then, you know, and listen, using big words isn't the answer. No, no. <laughs> so, Stacey, listen, thank you very much for being on the show. It's just a pleasure to be with you here today. I really appreciate it. And we'll look forward to being in touch. And I appreciate your friendship. Thank you, Joel. Back at you. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the Inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.